we do see a lot of usage of the words diversity and inclusion, particularly diversity, where you know someone will say, well, we're looking for diverse candidates. And, and normally that's code for something. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Agnell, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. When I launched this podcast, my commitment to you was to have an episode bi-weekly. But sometimes something special is going on and I just feel strongly we've got to go beyond that. June is Pride Month. And if you're not familiar with Pride Month, it's uh, also referred to as Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and, and Transgender Pride Month. It's celebrated every year in the month of June to honor the 1969 Stonewall Riots that took place in Manhattan. And these riots were a tipping point for the gay liberation movement. Here in Toronto, we've just celebrated our 38th annual Pride Parade and our third annual Pride Month. It's always a great atmosphere in the city. I've been out to the parade many times and to me showcases some of the best of what Toronto has to offer terms of a commitment to diversity and inclusion. And I think it's a it's an important concept not just to celebrate as a city, but to recognize and promote in business and the workplace in general. All the results are clear. Diverse, inclusive workplaces perform better. And so I want to have as my guest today someone who could talk to us about how to speak up in a way that promotes diversity and inclusion. Today's guest is Michael Bach. Michael is the founder and Chief Executive Officer for the Canadian Centre for Diversity and Inclusion. Known Michael for many years, and he is an internationally recognized thought leader and subject matter expert in diversity, inclusion, and employment equity. And he certainly has the credentials for what he does. Before starting CCDI, he was the National Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for KPMG. He actually created the role, held it for seven years, and then spent almost three years as the Deputy Chief Diversity Officer for KPMG International. Uh, and since he uh, started CCDI, Michael himself has been recognized for the tremendous impact he's made. Uh, just a short list of his awards, he's been named the uh, 2012 Diversity Champion by Women of Influence, a 2011 Inspire Award as the LGBTQ LGBT Person of the Year, and the 2011 Out on Bay Street Leaders to be proud of. LGBT Advocate Workplace Award. Michael joins me today to talk about what diversity really is, what inclusion really is, and how you can speak up to promote both in a way that's authentic and impactful no matter what role you hold in your organization. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Michael Bach. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. I remember meeting with you just after you'd founded the CCDI and you left KPMG and you've been you know, head of diversity and inclusion there. And I remember you telling me about your vision for what CCDI could be, what it needed to be. And look, here we are seven years later. It's fair to say you've uh, achieved a huge amount of what you envisioned. Maybe you could share with us what led you to that decision to start CCDI and what you hoped to achieve 
in creating it. Sure. So thanks, Bart. And, and uh, yeah, it has been an, a pretty incredible journey. Um, I had been uh, leading diversity at uh, KPMG. And it was actually in my time as uh, the deputy chief diversity officer for KPMG International that I, I sort of started to envision what CCDI could and should be. And uh, I, I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I sort of had to get to a point of kind of 30,000 feet in order to see the, the fine detail um, because I got to see the world and what diversity looks like globally. Um, and then I was able to translate that into uh, a solution for Canada. But the challenges that diversity presents in a country of this size are significant um, because you do have very distinct regionalisms. Um, you look at cities like Toronto and Vancouver, which are um, you know, more than 50% newcomer, incredible racial and ethnic diversity um, in comparison to cities like, uh, say, Saskatoon, which is more focused on the indigenous peoples, um, um, Quebec, where we have language diversity, um, you know, it, it's a it's really tough for employers to tackle the entire conversation. So we created this model uh, of an organization that would sort of be the central nexus of of the diversity conversation in Canada, where um, we wouldn't do everything, but we would sort of be the starting point, where an employer could pick up the phone and say, "Hey, I need information on." Uh, newcomer inclusion in Moncton, and we could say, "Okay, sure, I know I know where to direct you." And uh, slowly but surely, over a few months, I I talked about the model to different uh, people that I know working in the profession, and uh, it got built out, and we launched in um, 2012, and uh, we now are working with over 160 employer partners uh, uh, across the country. Just an amazing story, and you know, Michael, listening to you. The one thing I really admire is the great courage you showed in leaving what's a very prestigious position at KPMG to just create something out of nothing. And clearly you had a powerful vision. And I'm wondering, was this a vision when you went out and started CCDI that was readily embraced? Or did you face a lot of questions and pushback? Yeah, I would say it was generally very positive. Um, admittedly, I was going to people that uh, were friends um, and people who had really already drunk the Kool-Aid. Um, so it wasn't like I was cold calling people. Uh, and at the same time, we did I did get some uh, good questions about different aspects of the organization. Um, and in fact, we ended up putting together a an advisory committee of employers to help guide us through the first year or so. Um, so I, I, you know, there was generally speaking, uh, um, I think some, some good questions. Um, I, I'm a, a person that firmly believes to, uh, incubate an idea, but at some point you kind of have to let your baby out of the nest and, and see how people are going to respond to it before really investing in it fully. Michael, let's start with some definitions. Two terms I'd like you to define for us, diversity and inclusion. What do they mean? 
Yeah, that's, that's a good question, Mark. You're right. We do see a lot of usage of the words diversity and inclusion, particularly diversity, where you know someone will say, "Well, we're looking for diverse candidates," and, and normally that's code for something. Um, and it can be racially diverse, it can be gender diversity, it can be any number of things, but it's often code. So uh, at CCDI, we define the word diversity as being anything that makes a person unique. And um, that can relate to racial and ethnic diversity, it can relate to newcomer status, indigenous peoples, people with disabilities, et cetera. But, it also relates to um, things like family status and um, thinking style, learning style. Um, we like to think that everyone is diverse. Now, I, I need to be very clear here that we're not talking about marginalization and underrepresentation. Um, those two things are um, a part of the diversity conversation, but we also find that getting marred down in uh, the conversation around underrepresentation and, and marginalization doesn't necessarily move us forward. So if diversity is what makes you unique, inclusion is about creating environments where all of that uniqueness can succeed. Um, so how do you take all of the differences that people bring to the workplace and uh, bringing them together um, so that they they work in harmony as opposed to um, sort of colliding against one another. I like those. The way the pieces fit together, it's not diversity or inclusion. From what I'm hearing you describe, these two really go hand in hand. Yeah, they, they need to go hand in hand. And I think that, you know, there's great debate amongst uh, DNI practitioners about whether it should be diversity and inclusion, inclusion and diversity, whether you should drop the diversity altogether. And I'm a firm, well, first of all, I'm a firm believer that, you know, it's not the word's fault. If there's an issue, it's not the word's problem. Um, but I, I hesitate when I hear organizing, uh, organizations saying, oh, no, no, we just talk about inclusion now. Uh, right. But are you are you at the risk of forgetting what you're trying to include? And that's when things like marginalization and underrepresentation do come into the conversation. Because you can have a great deal of inclusion, but have little diversity. And the reality is what we're trying to do is create workplaces where everyone can succeed. And organizations that are truly inclusive have a great deal of diversity. And you can look across their representation and. Um, and see that uh, inclusion at work. Um, the former governor general uh, did a, an interview on CBC and he said, uh, um, Canada is a wonderful, I'm paraphrasing, Canada is a wonderful uh, experiment in diversity. And I think he's right. Um, you know, if you look around the globe, there are a number of uh, things um, examples of diversity that don't work. Look at Israel and Palestine or, or uh, other, you know, countries like that. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the key to success is the inclusion part because you can get a whole bunch of diversity together, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be inclusive. So what's the first step when you work with organizations 
to agree on these definitions? Do you discuss the need for both? Is, is that where you start? You know, that's an interesting question. I think we start working with employers where they are. Um, so if you've got an organization that's brand new to the conversation, we'll start with you there. And that might be defining what the words mean, writing a business case, um, you know, starting with some, some basic education, or we might have organizations that are very advanced in the conversation. And so we, again, will meet them where they are. And if you're an employer in Atlantic Canada, as an example, you might not have a, a real focus on um, racial and ethnic diversity because the percentages of people are so small. As I recall, it's sort of in the less than 10, maybe even less than five, depending on the province percent of the population that is of a non-Caucasian or non-white ethno heritage. Um, so we don't necessarily go in with a predefined uh, way of saying, okay, this is what we need to talk about because we have to meet the employer where they are in the conversation. Let's shift gears and let's talk about people in the organization who want to speak out and speak up for these causes. You're talking about an organization that's not yet where it wants to be, but where there are people who are taking ownership and believe in it. What role do the internal leaders of a company have in promoting diversity and inclusion? And when you look at the successful leaders, how do they go about communicating that need to their colleagues? Perhaps you could give me a specific example. Yeah, sure. So you've, you've sort of nailed the, um, the most important ingredient um, on the head, um, to mix my analogies. Um, <laughs> tone from the top is, is critically important. And in fact, it's the number one success uh, factor in an organization's diversity and inclusion strategy. If you've got a leader or leaders who either haven't bought in or are giving it lip service, you, you will not succeed. There's just no way. Um, you can put in a whole lot of effort, but in the end, it's not going to last. Um, where we have seen the, the true success is, um, in uh, organizations where the leader takes on the ownership of uh, the diversity and inclusion agenda, whether that's uh, someone like a for the former CEO of TD, Ed Clark, um, or uh, you know other CEOs, uh, executive vice presidents, et cetera, leaders, and I, I use that term in the broadest sense, um, they set the tone for the organization. And that drives a lot of behavior change. Can you give me an example of a moment where someone, as you said, who was not necessarily the CEO, but who showed great leadership and encouraged the organization to change the tone at the top and therefore make an impact? I can think of one example. Uh, it's an organization that we've been doing some work with. Uh, you know, we had a couple members of the executive leadership team that were very much the driving force. Uh, they were the ones who were stepping up and stepping out and, and really driving the conversation internally. And, you know, they had their personal motivators and, and I, I don't, uh, I think everyone has their own motivators for having these conversations. 
Um, and uh, the reality of the situation is that the CEO was paying at lip service. And um, it, it's unfortunate because he was saying all the right things, but he wasn't doing all the right things. And um, ultimately, what we've seen longer term with this organization is uh, things have been stagnant. And while these members of the executive leadership team are, are trying to drive things, um, their CEO is not necessarily hindering, but at the same time, not giving it the, the weight that it needs. Um, and, you know, we can point to a lot of research that shows that the key to success for organizations is diversity and inclusion. And I think about a report that was done by Deloitte out of Australia. And uh, it's called Inclusion, uh, sorry, it's called Waiter, Is That Inclusion in My Soup? And it's a great report because it, it quantified diversity and inclusion. And what it found is that um, organizations that had uh, high levels of diversity but low levels of inclusion saw a 20% increase in levels of engagement in comparison to organizations that had low diversity, low inclusion. Organizations that had low diversity but high inclusion saw a 67% increase in engagement. And then organizations that had high levels of diversity and high levels of engagement saw a 101% increase in engagement in comparison to organizations with low diversity and low in inclusion. That if you want to focus on engagement, focus on diversity and inclusion first, and that will lead to higher levels of engagement. So it's really clear to me that the business case matters and that tone from the top is key. So let's imagine that we have someone listening to this podcast who's not at the top, you know, say a manager in a large company or an individual contributor, and they say, I want to speak out. I want to promote within my organization the business case for diversity and inclusion and bring about change. What advice would you give to that person? How can they be heard and really begin to move the dial within their organization? I think the, the reality of the individual contributor or manager, et cetera, is you have a lot of power. Um, and you may not feel that way, but the reality is that I can, I can you know, stand up on my soapbox and tell employers that you know, they need to focus on diversity and inclusion. Well, that's great. Um, but if their employees tell them, that has a great deal of, of power. And the reality is that if you, if you don't speak up, people don't know your situation. And I'll just use myself as an example. So when I joined uh, a previous employer, um, I was out as gay, but there didn't appear to be any sort of sense of, of community in the organization. And, you know, people might ask, uh, why, is, why does it matter to be gay or, or, or know that there are other LGBT-identified people in the organization? Well, to that I would say, imagine if you're the only person of, 
you know, one thing. Imagine if you're the only left-handed person in a right-handed world, or you're the only blonde in a sea of brunettes. Um, it's very isolating to feel alone. You want to feel like you're not the only one. So I, I joined this organization and there was nothing. There was no mention of sexual orientation or gender identity in any policies. And um, it, long story short, I stood up and said, why are we not focused on this? And the reality was no one had actually thought that that was important. No one thought, oh, okay, you know, um, maybe we should do something. And I, it gave me the opportunity to educate and to raise some awareness about the experiences of LGBT peoples. Um, not that I'm, you know, the gay whisperer. I'm, <laughs> I'm just one voice in that conversation. And I think and it's important that be more than one voice. Yeah, Michael, sorry to interrupt, but were you heard? Was it a difficult message for the organization? Did your speaking out result in a positive change? Oh, absolutely. Um, we ended up starting an employee resource group uh, um, for the employees and their allies, so LGBT people and their allies, which was such a great opportunity for people who had LGBT siblings and LGBT parents and LGBT kids uh, to be able to feel like they were part of something. Um, and it ended up driving the organization to be sponsoring in different spaces, to be spending in different spaces, advertising, um, and connecting with a community that they didn't even realize that they were missing out on. Um, so it ended up being a, a, a boon for myself, who suddenly realized that I wasn't alone, uh, for other LGBT people who felt that they weren't alone, and in turn for um, uh, the organization. So, I, you know, again, coming back to my advice for the middle managers and individual contributors is if you don't speak up, no one hears you. And um, it, you can have a lot of power. You know, when we're doing our, our diversity and inclusion audits or, or state assessments, we talk to people. And we specifically use quotes from uh, the individuals within an organization as part of uh, our reporting because it's the voice of the people um, that can really drive that change. Um, and it's, it's incredibly powerful. I'm on the outside, and so I don't have as much power. People may perceive me to be a subject matter expert, and I can come in and talk about things, but you know, I don't know necessarily how each organization runs and the intricacies of that. Uh, so being on the inside is, is incredibly powerful. That's just a wonderful personal story. I appreciate you sharing it because it really shows that you should never assume it's intentional, that if a lack of focus on diversity and inclusion exists, you still have tremendous power to affect change, no matter what title you hold. So let's play it out. Let's imagine you speak out, or someone listening on this podcast speaks out, and they face questions, they face challenges, they maybe even face a backlash. In your experience in working with people who do this, who champion diversity and inclusion, what kind of resistance do they face? And what are the keys to communicating successfully through that resistance to bring about change? So you're always going to face some resistance. 
change is a is a naturally generates resistance. Um, so know that in advance. And don't be afraid of that resistance. Don't try to make everyone happy. That's not the point. Um, when you're dealing with either conscious or unconscious bias towards a particular group, you're going to make people uncomfortable and that's, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think the a few things I can suggest in terms of, of how, I, how to deal with that. First of all, surround yourself with supports. So people that get what you're trying to achieve, um, people who understand, um, you know, I used to belong to a round table of DNI practitioners and, uh, it was just a small group of eight people from different industries. And, and we would come together once a quarter for a half day. And the benefit of that was I got to kind of air my dirty laundry and talk about what was frustrating me and, and the issues I was facing. And everyone at the table kind of got where I was coming from and could give me some advice about how they'd dealt with it. So surround yourself with that kind of support system. Um, don't run away from the change. Uh, don't, you know, y you have to have a strength and a willingness to, to fight through the change. Um, believe in your convictions. And, um, you know, the reality is that um, there are, uh, you know, people out there who have differing beliefs than, say, my own. Um, and they are, are very much uh, believing in their convictions. And that's really what we teach with the Humphrey Group, that the ability to inspire isn't this motivational skill, but rather a process of defining what you believe in and because of that belief are willing to push forward with because that's what gives you the courage. And it's not something superficial. It's a deep belief that you have to be heard discussing. And I love your observation that you are not going to please everyone. I mean, in some ways, maybe that's a reflection of diversity, that you're going to have people with different views. You know, the other thing I would add there is be respectful. Um, and I say this, you know, whenever I'm giving a speech or presentation, I talk about providing a safe space. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind providing a safe space is you're providing a safe space for people to come and talk to you about whatever is in their life that they're not sharing with you, whether that's their, they're living with a disability, their sexual orientation, gender identity, whatever is the case. But understand that the, it goes both ways. And someone might come and talk to you about how they think this diversity thing is crap and, and we shouldn't be spending any time or money on it. Well, you have to provide them a safe space as well um, to talk and it's a learning moment. And <clears throat> I bring this up and I'll give you an example. Um, I sit on a, a board of an organization and uh, it's a pretty politically engaged organization. And we unfortunately got to the point where um, um, the, the majority of the people uh, around the table were liberals. And I say unfortunate because it doesn't allow for diversity of political perspective. We all started drinking from the same water fountain. And we, a new board member joined who was very much in the conservative spectrum. And they were regularly getting shot down. 
And I had to stand up and say, okay, hold on. You, you know, we need to be respectful of one another. You don't have to agree with her politics, um, but you do have to uh, create a safe space and uh, allow her her beliefs. And so I, I think when it comes to the diversity and inclusion conversation, you need to be respectful. Um, that organization I was mentioning, um, I remember having a conversation with one person who was just vehement that we shouldn't be talking about sexual orientation in the workplace, that this was just totally inappropriate. And, you know, first off, we talk about sexual orientation in the workplace all the time when a straight person has a, a picture of their opposite sex spouse or their children on their desk, they're talking about their sexual orientation. But secondly, I gave her the opportunity to voice her concerns and created that respectful environment. I completely disagreed with her, but I was respectful in, in that disagreement. And, and that is really critically important. We see a lot of disrespectful discourse in the United States, and I want to make sure that that doesn't creep into the Canadian landscape. I was going to ask you about that. You know, the U.S., where things are just so polarized right now. But I want to keep digging into what you're saying because it's so easy to assume that views that are different should be shut down, you know, as an educator inappropriate. And let me give you a specific example. I mean, let's imagine that you had a leader who was setting the tone from the top, as you suggest. You know, they're saying, we want to be an organization that promotes diversity and creates an inclusive workplace for everyone. And someone sitting in that meeting says, great, well, since everyone's view is welcome here and we're all about inclusion, I'm going to tell you what I think. I think this is a waste of time and money. Everyone should just be able to come to work, do what they do, and we will have a true meritocracy. Now, if that person says that, how should that leader react at that moment to something, to a comment like that? So that happens a lot. Um, it's, I mean, I've, I've been delivering different uh, leadership training for years, and and uh, it happens a lot. Um, I am a big believer in knowing your data and and statistics, and and so usually when that comes up, I'll say, okay, let's talk about it, and uh, I'll I'll dig in to. Uh, some of the things they've said, for example, the discussion around quote unquote meritocracy. Um, so merit is a myth and that's the reality because you can't, you know, remove the human bias from the equation when it comes to say a promotion or advancement. And, you know, for example, I'll say, okay, let's, you know, let's talk about merit. And what does that what, what does merit look like to you? And usually they'll say, well, everyone works hard and they, they get the same opportunity. Okay, so why then does the leadership team have no women on it? And usually I'll get a response like, well, you know, it's just going to take some time because women have only been um, in the field for a few years. Okay, well, would it surprise you to know that since 1979, women have been graduating with more than 50% of the undergraduate degrees in Canada. Um, in that year, it, it was 54% and it hasn't dropped below 50% since. So how long is it going to take? Um, and I, I start to dig into examples, not in an aggressive way, um, in a discussion. And I, I really vehemently will not let anybody get attacked 
Um, I've seen it happen where, you know, one person has an opposing view and I'll say, no, 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 hold on. That's not okay. We, we need everybody's views at the table. Um, and allowing people the opportunity to, um, express their opinions so they feel like they've been heard, uh, but making sure that um, any in, unfactual information that they put forward is countered with fact. Um, so if it's, you know, we think um, marketing to the Latino Hispanic community is a waste of time, I can talk about the, and this is a U.S., um, that's a U.S. example, but I can talk about the financial impact and tell a story about how Frito-Lay uh, launched a product successfully into the Latino-Hispanic market and how much money it was worth. Um, having it's, it's really important to use examples that will resonate with the person, uh, that speak to their experience and, and their, their world. Uh, what's an example? I'm thinking about uh, the spending power of the LGBT community in North America is worth about a trillion dollars. So if you're a business that is trying to attract consumers, is a trillion dollars something you're willing to leave on the table? Um, you know, or things like you did an advertisement where everybody is white. Well, 55% of the city of Toronto, 72% uh, of the city of Markham is non-Caucasian. Is that an ad that appeals to those people? I love the way you're describing a response. You want them to take the emotion out of it right away, manage their own emotional reaction. And I'm wondering, do you actually, should you welcome that dialogue? And how much substance do you really need to tackle the assumptions that are baked into these opposing positions? Absolutely. It needs to be, it, it, it needs to be an argument that, that is logical and um, void of any personal agenda. Um, you know, obviously as a, as a gay man who lives with a disability, I, I have my own personal agenda around things, but I also respect uh, other people. And, you know, I can, if I have an argument with somebody, they're not necessarily gonna learn and I'm not gonna move them along the dial. Um, so meeting them where they are and helping them to understand the experiences of the other, because that's usually what we see. It's a person who is, and pardon the stereotype, but more often than not, a straight, white, able-bodied, Canadian-born man who has never experienced life outside of their lens. Well, as someone who fits that profile, no offense taken, it, uh, it certainly requires a lot of effort to go beyond that lens. It does. You know, if you've never... You know, if you don't have any friends who are from different relational and ethnic groups, if you know if you've never spent any time with LGBT people or indigenous peoples, et cetera, you don't know. And so, and, and oftentimes, this is the history of diversity in Canada. The conversation has been very much the sort of social justice: man must lose so X person can win, um, and they feel threatened by the conversation, understandably. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I think. Um, uh, there is, uh, I think, just meeting them where they are uh, and helping them to understand difference is can have a huge impact. Yeah, and the last thing I'll ask you on that before we wrap is, does it work? How often when you meet them where they have that kind of fact-based, non-personalized dialogue, 
do they move? Yeah, you know, it does work. Um, I've seen, I've seen a lot of, of change um, where, you know, you're, you're not necessarily taking someone and turning them into a rabid advocate where they're going to be, you know, um, chaining themselves to trees or something. Uh, I have no idea why that reference, but, you know, that <laughs> I've seen people see a different way, like just change their perspective slightly and put them on a different path to understanding. And, and that uh, is uh, in and of itself the only thing I can hope for. I, I call it scratching the brain. So I'm going to scratch your brain a little and that itch is going to grow and grow and grow. And the next time you read something or see something on TV or have a conversation, you're going to have a bit of a different perspective. And that's what I'm hoping for. It's just a little bit of learning because uh, that can go a long way. Well, you and your story are proof of that. I certainly appreciate you sharing it. And Michael, I think it's a good time for us to bring this conversation to a close. I mean, what I'm really taking away from this and what I think our listeners should take away is that first and foremost, the business case for diversity and inclusion is unequivocal. If you have both, your organization will benefit. Second, that you have more power than you think. Yes, tone from the top matters, but if you're not at the top, speak up, speak out, and you may be pleasantly surprised by what's possible. And third and finally, be prepared for some challenges. Be prepared with your facts and with the mindset, not of a personal war, but of meeting people where they are and bringing education to the dialogue. Would you add anything to that summary, Michael? Yeah, I think that's a really good summation. I, I, would, I think the reality is change doesn't happen unless someone stands up and makes the change happen. If diversity were easy, we'd be living in a utopia. Um, and so it just takes good people to stand up and, and demand the change. And Michael, if people want to get in touch with you or they'd like to access resources they can use to begin making that change happen, where would you direct them to go? They can go to our website, uh, which is ccdi.ca. And they can connect with you there as well? Absolutely. Yeah, they can connect with me. They can find all sorts of resources, uh, information about webinars and upcoming events that we have on and all sorts of things. I really appreciate you connecting with me here, sharing your story and sharing some hard-earned lessons that leave me very inspired about what's possible. As you said, you know, change is not easy, but one person really can make a difference simply by speaking up and having the courage to do it in a way that meets people where they are. So I'd like to thank you, Michael, for coming on the Inspire podcast, inspiring me, and helping make the world a better place by promoting diversity and inclusion in every workplace. Thank you for all that you do. Thanks, Bart. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Michael Bach. The idea I really took away from Michael is that everyone can and should speak up to promote diversity and inclusion in their workplace. It won't just make your workplace a better place, it'll make life better for everyone we work with. So let's all speak up as leaders. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you're subscribed so you never miss one. Uh, please rate and review it. Appreciate all the people who have taken the time to do that. I uh, really 
Enjoy hearing your comments and getting your feedback. And do connect with me on Twitter at THG underscore Bart and visit our website at thehumphreygroup.com. Thanks, and I'll be back soon with another conversation about how you can be inspirational.